Welcome to Inside the China Room, a show within the Ginger River Radio podcast series and your go-to podcast for anything about the Chinese current events. I'm your host, Jiang Jiang, the founder of Ginger River Review, a newsletter that focuses on reporting the priorities of both the leadership and the general public in China, and the views you do not normally see from mainstream English language media. On January the 13th, the Democratic Progressive Party's Lai Qingde, alongside running mate Xiao Meiqing, clinched a victory in the leadership race in Taiwan, securing around 40% of the votes. In the legislative elections for the island's 113-seat parliament, the results were closely contested. The Chinese Kuomintang KMT party won 52 seats, closely followed by the DPP with 51. The Taiwan People's Party made a notable entry with 8 seats, while the remaining two were claimed by independent candidates. Fast forward to February the 1st, and we witnessed another political milestone. Gao Xiong's charismatic former mayor and KMT nominee Han Guoyu was elected as Taiwan's legislative speaker. What do these outcomes signify? How will they shape cross-strait relations and influence Sino-U.S. ties? To help us unpack these questions, I'm joined by Professor Wu Yongping, the Dean of the Institute of Taiwan at Tsinghua University, and a renowned expert at Taiwan affairs and cross-strait relations. Professor Wu, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Uh, hello, Jiang Jiang. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, you told me that now you're actually in Fujian. Uh, may I know why you are in Fujian now? Yeah, I'm in Fujian at this moment. Okay. It's, it's your hometown, as you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, it's my hometown. Okay. okay. Uh, it's I'm great to talk to you. the uh, Spring Festival. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I want to wish you a happy new year beforehand. <laughs> Uh, thank you, you too. Thank you. Professor Wu, on January the 13th, shortly after the results of the Taiwan leadership and legislative elections were unveiled, a spokesperson from the Chinese mainland for the State Council Taiwan Affairs Office commented on the election result, saying that the results reveal that the Democratic Progressive Party cannot represent the mainstream public opinion on the island. How do you interpret this statement? What do you believe represents the mainstream public opinion in Taiwan at present? And uh, how do you view the impact of the independence reunification issue in the Taiwan leadership and legislative elections this year? Well, as we know, in the recent election, the ruling party DPP, the Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan, only won 40% of the votes. And in the legislative election, it only gained 51 seats less than the opposition party KMT's seats uh, with 52 seats. So in terms of the two elections results, we can say that the Democratic Progress Party cannot represent the mainstream opinion in, in the island. As what happened yesterday in the legislative speaker election, the opposition party KMT won the speaker and the, the deputy speaker. So the DPP is the second largest party in the legislative branch. So um, with the two results, only 40% of the votes in Taiwan chose to support uh, the DPP. The rest, the 60% of voters uh, did not support it. So it did not uh, represent the mainstream public opinion in Taiwan. 
So it's a minority government. So why the majority of people, the voters in Taiwan, do not support DPP? Because DPP doesn't represent people's demand on the island. Uh, what people want in the island, what people want in this election, they focus on the internal issues, the issues like a lower wage of young people, housing issue, clean energy, corruption, economic growth, elder people's caring, social justice. These are the issues that majority people are concerned about. So in the past eight years, when DPP as a ruling party, it was not able to solve this problem for the people as a traditional a subject which dominated previous elections in Taiwan, that is independence versus reunification. The voters highly divided on this issue. During this election, uh, this subject does not dominate the election. People still think cross-strait relations is important, but there's no imminent danger. So the cross-strait issue, the independence versus reunification issue is still important, but it did not dominate the election during this election. The overwhelming majority of voters hope to maintain the status across the Taiwan Strait. What they want is peace and stability. Uh, they don't want war. And the DPP candidate, Lai Qingde, is very provocative in the election to the mainland China. So the majority of the voters did not trust him. So that's why they did not uh, vote Lai Qingde during the direction. Yeah, you mentioned that Lai Qingde was kind of very aggressive in terms of the issues across the Taiwan Strait. Now, there, there's no enough public support him. So can I say that uh, the mainstream public opinion in Taiwan is that people want peace. And as you just mentioned, people care about internal affairs. And because no party won over 50% votes, so actually now in Taiwan, there is no party that can, well, satisfy people's needs in terms of what you just mentioned. Oh, yes, true. The votes are very highly divided during the election. So no single party won more than 50% of votes. That means that people are highly divided in terms of supporting which party during the direction. Okay. And uh, uh, after Lai's uh, victory in the election, he said in a press conference uh, that his role has an important responsibility to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits, and he would commit working to maintain the status quo in Taiwan Strait. It sounds like he also cares a lot about the peace and stability in Taiwan Strait, and this statement does not sound that correct. So in your opinion, how will life's government's cross-strait policy differ from that of Tsai Ing-wen's administration? How do you foresee the future trend in relationships between the Chinese mainland and Taiwan in the coming period? How do you comment his statement in the press conference? Well, when Lai Qingde said he wanted to maintain peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, well, it's not enough. 
And the vital issue is how, because for Lai Qingde, convincing people on how to maintain peace and stability is more important than anyone else, even compared to his predecessor, the incumbent Cai Yingwen. Because Lai Qingde labeled himself as a pragmatic worker of Taiwan independence, so people do not trust him. Worry him will take reckless action to pursue his independence goal. The majority of voters in Taiwan do not trust him. The United States does not trust him. Of course, the Chinese mainland does not trust him. So, what Lai Qingde needs to do、uh, to win trust from all parts is to clarify、um, his stance. On the relationship across the Taiwan Strait, if he recognizes one China, that means both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to one country. Or he will consist、uh, his、uh, claiming that the two sides of Taiwan belong to two different countries. So this is a precondition、uh, for peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. We will watch what he will say、uh, during his inauguration on the May twentieth, and we will continue to watch what he will do after the May twentieth inauguration. If to watch him,、uh, whether or not he will return to one China stance, or he will continue to insist that both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to. Two different countries. I'm personally not optimistic about、uh, his shift to a new, more neutral stance on the cross-strait relations, for two reasons. One, he has a Taiwan independence goal, and、uh, the second one, he's very stubborn. Once he has an ideology, it's very difficult for him to change. So I'm not optimistic about the future across the Taiwan Strait, and people on the mainland very pessimistic about the future of the Taiwan Strait in the coming four years. Yeah, you mentioned just to clarify for our readers, you mentioned you just said that we are going to wait and see. When you use we, you were saying the Chinese government or the academic area, both, both. The, the academics、both. and the Chinese government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I think uh, all, uh, not only the the mainland China, but the USA is also、mm-hmm. will watch him. Oh, because、mm-hmm. a provocative provocative stance、uh, on the cross-strait relations is not in the U.S. interest as well.、Mm-hmm, I see. And uh, uh, let's talk about the Kuomintang. You know, the Hou Youyi, the KMT's presidential candidate, won thirty-three. Percent of the vote this year, and、uh, how do you comment? How do you assess the performance of Hou and his running mate Zhao Shaokang in the recent election? And what are the chances of KMTs to return to power in four years? How do you see the role of the defeated KMT in the relationship between Taiwan and the mainland in the next four years? You just said that you were pessimistic, and the people in the mainland are pessimistic about the future of the cross-strait relations. So does that implicate actually the KMT, which is normally regarded as a 
pro mainland party in Taiwan will not have a big influence on the political directions in Taiwan. Well, regarding the election, the KMT performed much better than expectation. Oh. Yeah, uh, they won 33% of votes, mm-hmm. uh, which reflects its real supporting base because this is the first time since 2000 uh, the KMT was united in the general election. So that's why they performed better than expectation. Even though Hoyu is not a competitive candidate, they still won 33% of votes. So it's better than expectation. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. What was the biggest, uh, well, issue that makes Hoyu not the most ideal candidate for the election, in your opinion? For many reasons. His personal image is not good. It's not like expect people's expectation. And he recognized after the election that the Taipei city mayor, Jiang Wan'an, is more like a presidential candidate than he was because he said, well, the, the Jiang Wan'an uh, spoke uh, much better Mandarin than him. And he's a, he's a handsome man. So <laughs> from what he comments on Jiang Wan'an, you, you can see uh, his own weakness. So that's also what people uh, think about him. So he does not trust himself. You, you, you are saying that he's not that confident enough. No, he, he lacks confidence mm-hmm. for himself. Mm-hmm. So um, given all the reasons, the 33% of votes is much better than expectation. Also, we can see from what happened yesterday, the committee won the legislative speaker. So the committee is the largest party in the legislative branch. Given the two reasons, the committee uh, will key player in the coming four years. But for the next election, that will happen four years later. For the committee to return to power, it needs to do some things because it has some weaknesses. It needs to reform itself to win young people's hearts and minds. It needs to change party image. The party image of a committee is old-fashioned. It's a party of elite. It's very bureaucratic. So young people are not attracted to the KMT. So for the KMT, it wants to return to power. In four years later, it needs to do more to attract young people um, in the coming four years, the committee will be a vital force in maintaining the relations between the two sides of Taiwan Strait because uh, for a number of reasons. First, the committee recognizes 192 consensus. It's a consensus reached by a then committee government under the mainland in 1992. The core meaning of 192 consensus is that there's only one China in the world. The both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to one China, but the meaning of one China can be expressed differently. So that's the consensus. The committee recognized the consensus. It's a necessary political basis for 
the two sides of the Taiwan Strait to keep a normal relations. During the community government between 2008 and 2016, the cross-strait relations was very good because the KMT recognized 192 consensus, recognized that both sides of Taiwan Strait belong to one China. Um, this number two reason is that the KMT will play a checking power to the DPP because of the reason we just mentioned. The KMT holds the speaker of the legislative branch and it is the biggest party in the legislative branch. Also, the KMT controls 14 out of 22 local governments in Taiwan. So it's a powerful political forces in Taiwan. So because of the above reasons, the KMT will play important role in maintaining the cross-strait relations because the mainland China has a trust in, in KMT because the KMT recognized the 1992 consensus. Yeah, uh, the 1992 consensus is, is very important for, for the Chinese mainland. And uh, we know that young people in Taiwan nowadays, well, is not that attracted by the KMT. But we know that they like uh, another party, Kowenjus, uh TPP, the Taiwan People's Party. Uh, how do you view the political influence of Ke Wenzhe himself and the TPP in the future political landscape of Taiwan? Uh, I think they have eight seats in the legislature body, and uh, some said that the Ke Wenzhe's cross-strait policy is somewhat ambiguous, and he said that a friendly attitude should be maintained towards cross-strait relations. How do you evaluate his discourse on cross-strait relations? Well, the Taiwan People's Party performed very well, and it's even better than expectation. It won 26% of the votes during the election, and it also won eight seats in the legislative branch. More importantly, Kermenza won the support of young people. All the 26% of votes are from young people, so that means current or other Taiwan's People's Party will be increasingly influencing in the future of Taiwan's politics. A young people in Taiwan fond of Kovenza. He has a political charisma. As you just said, his stance on cross-strait relations is very ambiguous. I think his stance is between the DPP and the KMT, because he does not recognize 92 consensus, that means he does not recognize the both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to one China, but he does not take the stance of Taiwan independence. He also said he will not take provocative activities towards the mainland China, and he also criticized the DPP candidate Lai Jingde about being provocative toward mainland China. He said it's not in Taiwan's interest. So he also said before repeatedly uh, that people on both sides of the straits are one family. I think that's a part the Chinese man like a lot, right? <laughs> that that's a word that's which align with Chinese mainland policy, right? Yeah, because of this policy, the 
Twin City Forum. It's a forum between Taipei City and Shanghai City. It took place. I can't remember for how many times when Kermanzo was the mayor of Taipei. So I think this is the Kermanzo's stance about the cross-strait relations. It also emphasizes the two sides must be mutual understanding, and、uh, the both sides does not hit the bottom line of each other. So it's very important. He said he fully aware of the. Bottom line of the mainland China, he insists that he will not hit the bottom line of the mainland China, and if the mainland China respect the current political system and the lifestyle of Taiwan people, he'll be willing to talk with the mainland. So that's his stance about cross-strait relations. Because of this, I personally think the. Taiwan People's Party or Kerwinzer, we also playing as a checking power to the DPP because his stance is relatively neutral between the KMT and the DPP. There is also a well some some efforts that try to create a coalition between the KMT and the TPT before the election, but it failed. And、uh, you said that.、Uh, The KMT needs to win the young people's hearts, and、uh, the DPP's future is very promising. Do you think maybe one day DPP's influence will surpass KMT's in the future? Maybe someday. It's too early to judge whether or not this will happen, because Taiwan People's Party is based on Kermanzer's personal charisma. Yeah. So as a party, the party line and the party organization. It's not clear yet, so it's too early to say it will continue to grow as a major party to replace KMT as the second one. It's too early to say. We need to watch in the coming four years. Yeah, yeah. I also see some people commented in Taiwan that actually the quality of the talents who joined the TPP is not that good enough because of. Well, comparatively, a, a very young party. So yeah, it's take time for for every young party to grow, I guess. And、uh, let's move to the Taiwan issues from the perspective of the U.S. government. Following the conclusion of the Taiwan election, the U.S. President Joe Biden said in an interview that he does not support for Taiwan independence. While you, the U.S. Secretary of State Blinken, expressed the expectation of deepening informal U.S.-Taiwan relations. In this context, do you believe there has been a change in U.S. attitude towards the Taiwan question? How should China respond to the U.S. policy of using Taiwan to contain China? Well, in the extremely complicated Sino-U.S. relations, Taiwan question is the most important and the most sensitive factor from Carter administration to Obama administration. U.S. follows strategic ambiguity on Taiwan question and its own one-China policy. However, it has scrapped strategic ambiguity since Trump administration. It upgraded official relations with Taipei, increased arms sales to Taiwan. Some U.S. officials emphasize. The strategic value of Taiwan to U.S. security, President Biden explicitly said, 
for four times. Let me emphasize: for four times, the U.S. would support Taiwan when Taiwan does de- war in the Taiwan Strait. All this have hollowed out its one-China policy. So one question has to be raised after all this has happened: Has the U.S. shifted from one China to one China, one Taiwan? So, from the Chinese perspective view, all this have fallen out is one China policy. So, it's very provocative and it's very dangerous because it encourages pro-independence activities on Taiwan. So, given all this, it's good that President Biden expressed explicitly that the U.S. Does not support for Taiwan independence after the election result comes out in in Taiwan. However, the experience of the past few years reminds us that the U.S. must do what is said, since Taiwan question is the core of China's core interests. China will do whatever it can to protect its interest. If the U.S. Does not change its tactics of use Taiwan to contain China, as it, what it did in the recent years. It is difficult to maintain peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. However, maintaining peace and stability is in the interest of all parts, including the U.S. So, abide by one China policy. Is in China in U.S. own interests, so I hope President Biden's express about not supporting Taiwan independence is its real policy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, uh, well, President Joe Biden's statement can make people confused because sometimes he he says something, and next time, next day, the the White House. Spokesperson came out and saying something that he does not mean that something like that, and、uh, yeah, I think it's important for for the U.S. government to understand the Taiwan issue is very sensitive and it's a core issue of China. And、uh, in October last year, the the Chinese government issued a circular on Cross Strait Fujian Taiwan Integration Development Plan. You are in Fujian, you are from Fujian. Some people actually believe the mainland should more actively promote. Multilateral opening policies towards Taiwanese. If China do that, actually, I believe, well, Fujian will definitely be the pilot area for for such type of multilateral opening policies. So, how do you evaluate the policy matters for integrated developments across the Taiwan Strait? Also, will Lai Qingde leading the government in the coming four years in Taiwan affect these policies? And will this policy be effectively implemented and achieve certain results? In your opinion, well, promoting the cross-strait integrated development is a strategic deployment plan, and for the mainland China, I just went to Fuzhou, the 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 capital of the Fujian province,、uh, two days ago, to do some research about the. Situation of integrated development and got a lot of、uh, valuable information. As we all know, achieve reunification peacefully is national strategy 
of the mainland China. So the key to achieve peaceful reunification is to win people's hearts and minds in Taiwan. And it's particularly important when lacking of uh, trust in the cross-strait relations in the recent years, the cross-strait relations will be difficult in the coming four years, as we just discussed, because of the continuing ruling of the DPP, because of lighting the personal independence mindset and the stubborn personality. So the integrated development will be more important because of the situation. And uh, to be honest, it will be more difficult because the DPP as will take any measures it can to block the exchange and the communication across the Taiwan Strait as what it did in the past eight years. And I personally believe Lai Qingde will do more in the coming years after his inauguration. So what the mainland China can do is to do what is under our own control. My personal understanding of the integrated development is to realize one country, one system on this side of the Taiwan Strait. It means we provide the uh, treatment to Taiwanese come to the mainland. The citizens, uh, the national treatment of the people on the mainland. So the local government in Fujian will take initiative using its own strengthnesses with Taiwan in terms of uh, geographic relations of just across the, the strait. Most of Taiwan people come from Fujian, so people share the same culture, religion, language, food, many things. So the Fujian province will use all these advantages to provide uh, conveniences for Taiwan people to settle in Fujian for their living, employing, running business, and studying in Fujian. I think that will set example of one country, one system on the mainland side. We, we all know that after reunification, Taiwan will practice one country, two systems. That means Taiwan will maintain all the systems they have uh, currently. But on this side of Taiwan Strait, the mainland side, uh, side will take one country, one system. We will treat the Taiwan compatriots uh, the same treatment as the um, mainland people. So I think the significance of the integrated development plan announced by the central government is very important. It will drive in a closer relationship between people from the two sides of the Taiwan Strait. It will pave the way for peaceful reunification in the coming years. You said you were in Fuzhou days ago. Have, have you met any like Taiwanese people in Fujian? I'm sure you, you have, right? Have you had any communication with them? Do you have any interesting findings 
when after you communicate with them? Yeah, I met many people from Taiwan who lived in Fuzhou, in Xiamen, in other areas of Fujian. They excited about the the circular on the on the integrate integrated development. Well, as a matter of fact, they the integrated development has been um, developed for many years in Fujian. People felt more convenient living in Fujian province in terms of living, working, studying, um, as more measures taken by local governments. Yeah, and uh, uh, in 2022, the Chinese government published a white paper titled The Taiwan Question and China's Reunification in the New Era, which mentioned resolving the Taiwan question and realizing China's complete reunification is indispensable for the realization of China's regionalization. There have been many interpretations of this China's rejuvenation overseas. How do you think it should be interpreted? So it's a goal that, uh, well, reunification is a goal of that rejuvenification, or is it's not that necessary to be a part of that? Well, um, realizing reunification is a nation mission of China. After the return of Hong Kong and Macau in the late 20th century, the return of Taiwan will be the last one of complete reunification of China. No Chinese leader can bear the consequence of losing Taiwan. So we must realize this. China's reunification and the Chinese government, since the peaceful reunification is a policy since 1980 on the mainland China. This principle has never changed. Peaceful reunification as a national principle has never been changed. I understand there are some speculations about China's plan of taking Taiwan. If we have changed the principle or the policy, if we want to take Taiwan with force, People even speculate that uh, there are some timetables for the mainland China to take Taiwan. Well, I personally think all these speculations are not true. Uh, realizing modernization and China's rejuvenation is the utmost goal of China. We hope this goal will not be interrupted by anything so, of course, peaceful reunification is one of goals of China, but modernization, China's rejuvenation, is a more general nation of the country. We, we have confidence that we can realize peaceful reunification when the conditions are prepared and mature. So whenever the conditions for reunification are ready, we will realize the goal. But during the process, we will do our best to realize modernization, to realize national rejuvenation. So I think that's the relations between the two. In the meanwhile, military preparation is for deterring and smashing Taiwan independence activities. It's not for reunification.
So I think the outsiders often misunderstand our stance about military preparation. So I want to emphasize that military preparation is for deterring and smashing Taiwan independence activities, not for reunification. We will do many things to realize reunification, including integrated development, including to win young people in Taiwan's hearts and minds, to build common interests, to build common values, to driving people closer out of the two sides of Chinese people to realize reunification. So it will be a peaceful reunification. Yeah, uh, I think also the Chinese President Xi Jinping said that China is patient with the peaceful reunification. And there are also some other similar expressions about China's strategy, but sometimes this was overlooked by some overseas China watchers and policymakers. Actually, some international China observers have expressed to me that the policymakers in the United States have already considered Taiwan Strait War as an ongoing event when formulating relevant foreign policies. How do you believe this, this logic in policymaking will impact Sino-U.S. relations, Taiwan Strait stability, and the geopolitical situation in the region? And how do you assess the likelihood of military conflict breaking out in the Taiwan Strait at present? You mentioned that China's military preparation is more about deterrence, but uh, we cannot uh, you know, make sure that the other side... Uh, the Lighting administration or the U.S. government, what will they do? So how do you well assess the possibility of a conflict in the Taiwan Strait? We must be clear, a war in the Taiwan Strait is in no one's interest. So China's policy is a peaceful reunification. If the U.S. has such a plan, as you just mentioned, China will have to respond accordingly. We have no choice. So that will upgrade the tensions between the U.S. and China. No one wants to see the upgrading of tensions between the two countries. It's not in anyone's interest. So if that happens, then we will see a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you expect a war and you prepare for a war, there will be a war. So this is dangerous. I hope it's just a speculation. It's not a plan. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, I, I want to ask about some of your personal experience. Because according to my knowledge, you have traveled to Taiwan twice in 1996 to 1997 and 1997 to 1998 to conduct research for your doctoral uh, paper and became the first doctoral student registered at Taiwan University who came from the Chinese mainland. So... Well, looking back to your experience in Taiwan, in your in the academic field, as a mainland expert in Taiwan studies, how do you assess the current status of cross-street academic exchanges compared to the time when you went there and started in Taiwan? And uh, what do you think is the latest consensus among the mainland academic field regarding peaceful settlement of the Taiwan question? There's an extraordinary change uh, and the development in the past years from my first touch on Taiwan soil in 1996 uh, until now. Uh, when I went to Taiwan first time, Taiwan's GDP accounts for 
45% of the mainland's GDP. That, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. And now Taiwan accounts for about 5% of uh, mainland's GDP. So you, you can see the extraordinary change um, of the situation in the both sides of the Taiwan Strait. And when I went to Taiwan first time, the exchange, uh, including academic exchange, just uh, began not long. So there was no much exchange uh, between the two sides of the strait. Well, after them, uh, there's a lot of change in terms of exchange, including academic exchange. It's very complicated. Until 2018, the academic exchange between the two sides of the strait has been extensive, constraint visits, conferences, collaborations between scholars had been enormous. I personally visit Taiwan three or four times a year before 2019. I've never been to Taiwan since 2019. Well, pandemic is partly blamed for this, but the big obstacle is politics. The ruling DPP party took measures to discourage cross-strait academic exchange since 2018. So it's hard to see Taiwan counterparts on the mainland last year after the pandemic because Taiwan counterparts do not want to come to our mainland because they want to show the pressure are pushed by the government. So we describe the situation as a green horror in Taiwan. That means the ruling DTP party took many measures to discourage academic exchange between the scholars from two sides. The situation will continue after lighting the taking power. So I believe the academic exchange will be difficult in the coming four years if the situation will not change. Yeah, I see. Professor, what makes you make the decisions to devote yourself into the studies of Taiwan-related issues? I know Taiwan-related issues might not be the only subject that you started in your whole career, but what makes you make the decision to devote yourself into this field? What drives you to, to study this? Well, um, when I took the subject of Taiwan subject, I was interested in development. When I planned to pursue PhD study in Leiden University in the Netherlands, Taiwan was a successful economic example since the 1980s. So I hope to compare the development of Taiwan and the mainland and the whole that the mainland can learn something from Taiwan's experience in terms of economic development. That's why I chose Taiwan as my PhD subject. So I went to Taiwan to do field work. I met many retired Taiwanese officials who made economic policies during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, in which the Taiwan economic miracle took place, all the officials came from the mainland China. They were extremely happy 
about one young student from the mainland China taking the Taiwan experience as a PhD subject. So they are very helpful to offer me their personal views and experience of, uh, about the Taiwan's economic development and the economic policies from their hands. So that period of experience is very helpful for me, uh, for my research and for my PhD uh, thesis writing, uh, which was published by Harvard University in 2005. And after returning from, from Harvard, where I did my postdoc research, I went to Tsinghua University. It's uh, the School of Public Policy and Management. So uh, my interest is economic development, market economy, government and the market relations. So um, naturally, I expanded my research from Taiwan to the mainland China. So the Taiwan study or cross-strategy relations study is part of my research interest. So that's why I'm still in the field as a member of a cross-strategy research circle on the mainland China. Do you believe that nowadays Chinese mainland still has something, can learn something from Taiwan in terms of governance, in terms of the well, society governments or any other field? Because China actually developed very fast, right? Well, it's a good question. In the very beginning, I felt that uh, the mainland China can learn many things from Taiwan. But after a long time of research, and at one point, I realized that um, well, uh, the mainland still can still learn something from Taiwan, but given the huge difference in terms of size between the mainland China, things yeah. are much more complicated on the mainland than Taiwan. Taiwan is one of the provinces of China. Um, China is the entire China. So in many aspects, the problems faced by Taiwan are different from the problems faced by the entire China. So I realized um, we cannot learn from anyone, including Taiwan, in terms of many things because of the size of China. But still, uh, we can learn something from Taiwan because as a society moving earlier to a modern uh, time than the mainland. So the problem faced by Taiwan are problems faced by any other societies when they reach the same period of development. So the mainland China uh, will face the problems, uh, challenges faced by Taiwan at this moment, as what happened um, looking back uh, we have faced uh, many problems, challenges faced uh, by, by Taiwan earlier than us, and uh, we solved the problems with uh, very same ways. So I think we will continue to learn something from Taiwan because we will face the same problems and the challenges faced by Taiwan because the, as an elderly society, the caring of older people the environmental challenge, so the social justice, uh, green energy. So we face the same challenges. 
Thank you very much, Professor Wu. Thank you so much for giving us time and talking to us, especially when you're having a holiday in in Fujian. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And、uh, well, I, I haven't been to Taiwan. I hope one day I can go to Taiwan and、uh, well learn the situation there and come back and talking to you again. Okay. Yeah. See you again. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Wu. See you. Thank you for listening to the Inside the China Room podcast. For cooperation, investing, or feedback, you can email me directly at jjing.siisu@hotmail.com. Alternatively, please consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Substack. If you find our podcast helpful, we would be delighted if you recommend it to others. See you next time and take care.